You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. I'm your host, Trent Fleskins. Today, we have a rental market update with my favorite property manager, Emma Thorpe from Mark Hay Realty. Not only are we getting some updates on the numbers, but also some advice, some guidance on how to deal with all this COVID legislation change, how to protect yourself both as a tenant, but also as a landlord. Emma, thank you very much for coming in. Hi, Trent. Thanks for having me. Where do we start, mate? Probably, we should probably start on it with a market update. Yeah, sure. Are you sure you've got some interesting and maybe surprising numbers to some? Yeah, let's start with a little market update. Interestingly, Trent, this week last year in 2019, we had around 7,000 properties on the market for lease. How does that compare to maybe the boom? Sure. So in the boom, we saw a vacancy rate about 1.8 to 2%. Uh-huh. This year, we have around 5,000 properties available for lease in the state. So you know, that's 2,000-odd properties difference and around 29% less properties in one year. So the vacancy rate's pretty similar to the boom, right? Yeah, correct. So six-year low at the moment, it's 2.4%, where during the boom, we were seeing around 1.8 to 2%. But if you bring that back to 2018... That was up oh in the sevens, God. wasn't it? Yeah, that was tough times. That were really tough times. What is, I guess what is the dynamic change in terms of just the practicalities of the daily life as a property manager? How is trying to lease a property out, the dynamic of opening it up and how many people are there and how much how many people you have to contact is it yeah has, sure. has it really changed in terms it of the level of FOMO so much it's changed so much and it's actually a really interesting time because what we can do now is we use a special system called inspect real estate where tenants can actually book a time that suits them so much like if you're booking a hotel accommodation over east or overseas or health direct booking a doctor's appointment tenants can go on at a time that suits them and schedule a time from there then we just show up so you're not so, just waiting around Correct. And back in the day, like so in the boom, we would say 4.30, Tuesday, come along yeah. Whoever. and meet 80 yeah. other people. Yeah. And then in 2016 to 18, we were like, do you want to see it Sunday at 9am? I'll be there. Whenever you want to see it, we'll be there. And it's much the same now. But the good thing is, is that they schedule the time and we attend. So they're sort of pre-qualifying themselves a bit. Exactly. Obviously, with coronavirus, things changed there. So obviously the market, we weren't allowed to do home opens for some time there. So that was pretty interesting. But using that system, we were able to just have one person and book appointment. So you, you were still signing new tenants on in yeah, that time? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, and we only probably saw about 10% drop in applications during that time. Obviously, with us being in East Perth, we've got such a higher supply of properties. So we were doing more signings, but it was tougher times there. In terms of prices, rental price has been rising over the last six months has or at least up till COVID rental price was rising slightly have you seen any data yet on how that's being affected obviously the the laws that have come in say you can't lift current rental uh, increases right but have we seen other just generally as an average on the market prices either drop or go up sure so we were showing signs of really good recovery since about october last year 2019 right up until about mid-march to early april the medium rent is still around 345 to 400 per week and obviously with coronavirus we are unable to do any rent increases at this stage but if someone leaves their lease and that was on 350 at the time someone decides they just want to leave their lease for their own reasons 
surely you can then re-put that on the market for yeah, 370 Yeah, you can do that. So you can go to market with a new rent. Uh, sorry, go to market for a new tenant with a new rent, but you can't increase the current tenant's rent at all. So you haven't seen any drastic drops in terms of discounting or anything to try and get people in over um, the last couple of months? Not particularly, no. And not like we were seeing in 2017, 2018. So it's actually been quite good and quite stable throughout. Isn't that interesting that just like with the sales market, the rental market had a lot of fear in the start of April, especially about the Armageddon that's about to happen. But the numbers that have been coming out over the last seven weeks demonstrate that, to be honest, we had a couple of weeks where everything was sort of shut down. None of Mm -hmm. us left our home, but it's nearly back to just the way it was back in March. Yeah, exactly. Like I said before, there's been very few signs that our market has even been affected by this. I think last week I looked at the REWA stats and we released approximately 1,000 properties in the state for the one week. So that's really good numbers. Is that a, that's a pretty normal yeah, number. Yep, yep. And then if we look at properties in, say, Joondalup, Caversham, Scarborough, Nedlands, there's only a handful of four-bedroom properties available in each of those suburbs at the moment. So you think about each family looking to rent a four-bedroom property in those areas and they've only got, say, between four and ten to choose from. That demand and supply yes. relationship isn't very favourable for the tenant. Exactly. However, if we look in East Perth, Perth, South Perth, West Perth, we see a much higher number of properties available. So for a one-bedroom property in East Perth, there's about 100. If we look for two-bedroom properties, there's about 446. And if we're looking at three-bedroom properties, there's about 188 properties. Is that all in East Perth? So in East Perth, there's 227 properties available. But there's a lot of properties in East Perth as well. As a percentage, is that a pretty normal amount? Or are you pointing out that there are a few suburbs in Perth that are still probably a little oversupplied. Yeah, absolutely. So East Perth, Perth, South Perth and West Perth are all have an oversupply at the moment. Why do you think that is? Well, I really feel that that comes down to the Airbnb market. So there was a lot of property that was obviously advertised uh, via Airbnb for those tourists. However, now that that market has obviously closed down, it's brought a lot of Airbnb properties to our rental market. In a very specific area. Exactly, yeah. That's interesting because some national stats that that I reported on recently was that in the top 50 statistical areas around the country for Airbnb, there was only one in Western Australia. Market River. Market River, right? And so what that means is there isn't one metro statistical area in Perth in the top 50 in the country. Yeah. So even though obviously there there seems to be relatively some of those glutting in around the city mm. it's by far nowhere near what it would that same effect would be in the east coast in the other areas yeah and i think even in our office we've taken on new managements from properties that have short stay hotel accommodation so we've okay. seen a lot of that as well in our office but i guess I agree, you know, somewhere like the only other areas in Perth would be like Scarborough, Mindari, those type of areas that would have any other Airbnb property. And look, that takes a couple of weeks for that to start filtering through and people to start looking at those properties. So if they all come on at the same time, sure, it's going to take a few weeks for those to process through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I would like to see maybe in three, four months time how that evens out. Uh, What that looks like. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Yeah, just because they've transitioned from one type of landlord from Airbnb to long-term rental doesn't mean that there's necessarily an issue there. It's just it's only for the first time ever been offered back onto the market. Yeah, exactly. So that's an interesting update for us on the stats there. And I guess the theme is year on year, we're a lot tighter, just like in the values market. And there really hasn't been a lot of change in terms of the relationship and the dynamic when it comes to leasing since Mm -hmm. COVID started. Yeah, 
Let's talk more specifically now about all the legislation change, the updates and guidelines about the relationship a landlord can have with a tenant up until September this year. Is it yes. it's a six-month policy, yep, right? that's right. Hit us with that list. Okay, sure. So there's a few things that we need to consider as landlords. I guess the first thing is what we must understand is that there's no evictions. Full stop. So, What if my tenant is an absolute dog and just wrecking the place, not paying a cent? Sure. So still then, you would have to apply to the courts for a different court order. But if we're looking just for rent arrears only, there's no evictions. Wow. If they've been affected by COVID-19. If the tenant can prove that they've been affected by job loss or wage mm-hmm. loss, then they're essentially protected and the buck stops with the with the landlord they have to cover yeah, that cost that's right the interesting thing is is that any rent that falls into arrears is still due payable by the tenant so at what it's- point at any point. So what we're doing in our office is if a tenant comes to us and says, I've been affected by COVID-19, we're working with them on a new rent that the owner and the tenant are both happy with. And then what we're doing is say we're reducing the rent by 20%, that 20% is falling into what we call arrears. And then it's due payable in three months. And then if it's not paid in that three months, then the owner may look at allowing another three months. Okay. So it doesn't go away. Yeah. It's it's not going away. So it's mm. it's just a holiday, really. Okay. that's And then that would be contrary to what a lot of people think. It's just a, in the same vein as someone with a mortgage with the banks think they're getting a free holiday yes, right now. They're not. It's, it's just not. kicking the can down yeah, the road. Yeah, that's it. it. And the best way to think about it, what we've been using, it's just a holiday. So you've got to pay it back at the end of... The tenancy, right? yeah, yep. yep, at the absolute latest. But interestingly, around this no eviction, so Trent, if you want to move back into one of your properties, guess what? You can't. You can't. You can't you, kick you a tenant can't, out. You, you cannot kick a tenant out. Yep. So even if I've got an owner at the moment whose son has been affected quite badly from coronavirus, and he wants to move back into his dad's property, and we can't get rid of this tenant, the tenant's lease is even due to expire in June, and we can't. Terminate that lease. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this case, this tenant won't vacate. I guess the advice really is as much communication as possible so that you don't have these surprises. And uh, I guess with any level of uh, disagreement or awkwardness in any phase of life, really, the more communication you have, the quicker you can sort out the issue. Yeah, exactly. And I guess at the end of the day, we're trying to ask tenants to pay what they can, whatever they can't falls into arrears and give them a reasonable amount of time to pay it back. So we consider three months to be reasonable. And then, like I said before, maybe another three-month extension if it's needed. Across your portfolio, do you have any stats on how many of your properties have actually been affected by any rent changes? Yeah, sure. So I've got one guy in my office, he manages around um, 130 properties and he has a 10% rate that his tenants have asked for rent reductions. But we've only, in our in our experience, we've only had one tenant who's been really unreasonable. You know, they want a $465 a week property at $200 a week and they're not going to pay back the arrears and they're not going to downsize. So they're really just and, taking them for a run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So most tenants have actually been quite reasonable right and humble thing. about the way if yeah. they do have an issue it's for a real purpose they're yeah. not just taking it for a, for, yeah. a, for a ride uh, there has been the few that have tried but obviously we go through those checks and balances and make sure that it is value you know that they are telling the truth and that they do need the help and then we just use our negotiating skills and our empathy to try and come to an agreement that everybody can I guess can that's a really with. good value piece for having a property manager right now is if you're a landlord and you're not across exactly the 
the legislation on how and why tenants can ask for a reduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not have the, I guess, the necessary set of negotiation skills and experience to actually say, well, hang on a second, you haven't lost your job. Uh, there's been no effect to you yeah. at all. Just because you'd ask for a reduction doesn't mean that you deserve one. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's really hard because we as owners, it's our investment, it's mm. our super, it's our retirement. However, for the tenant, it's their home. So it's the property that they're coming home to after a big day at work or whatever. And, you know, those emotions combined can be, it, it can be pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have that middle ground where there isn't really a lot of emotion. It's just a transactional thing. Yeah. And the it, other good thing that the Department of Consumer Protection are offering at the moment is mandatory conciliation service. So it's much like if you were to go to court, you'd see the registrar first. But what they're doing is they're offering the service before court that the owner and the tenant can, or and the um, property manager can go and they really just sit down together and negotiate something that both parties are happy with. So A mediation service? Yeah. 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 Okay. Have, have you seen any of that being taken up on your side yet? Or we've been so that lucky that we've just been able to come to an agreement within our office. But I understand it's been, uh, it'll start in mid-June. So hopefully then we'll see some feedback on how that's working. Maybe it just hasn't been that needed. Yeah, maybe. maybe. most people have been quite reasonable about yeah. about where we land. Yeah, we've been so lucky in our office. Uh, and I think that a lot of it comes down to the training and the skill of our property managers that, you know, we're really just working through those issues with positive energy and the right intent. But It's not I, the first time you've negotiated a lease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, COVID or not. Yeah, exactly. So I guess the other interesting thing is that obviously um, there's no rent increases at all during this time. And the other thing is that any tenant can break their lease or terminate their contract with 21 days notice. For so, no reason. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they have been exp- they've experienced the effects of COVID-19. So what that leads me to believe really if, is that we invariably should see some reduction in the median rent price in the next few months just because there would be some downward pressure and mm-hmm. there is not allowed to be really any upward pressure. Yeah, It's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There'll be a lot of moving around in the market over the next few months for sure. In the short term, I think what we're going to see is that effect. The irony of that is though, as you pointed out at the start, we have boom level vacancy rates Mm -hmm. and boom level listings. It shouldn't be going that way. And in the same way that the rents have been increasing since October last year into March, I, I still think that those fundamentals will be there at the back end and when there's an ability to rise rent, raise rents again, there'll probably be a lot of landlords trying to make some of that money back. Yeah, I agree. And particularly those that are um, having properties in the suburbs, they will definitely be experiencing that hopefully after September. Any explanation on the $2,000 consumer protection rebate that can happen when a tenant has lost a certain amount of income? Yeah, sure. So that is um, one that we are still getting our head around in our office. Basically, it looks like they can claim up to $2,000 that is payable to the property manager or to to the agency direct to the owner. So they do have to apply and there is checks and balances that need to be done um, by the department there and then it is paid straight to the agent. So it's sort of like a job keeper for rent. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem, I mean, $2,000, that's sort of a month. Yeah, for some. No, it's not, yeah, it's not really yeah. getting you to September as a landlord though, no, is it? No, definitely not. 
It's a little bit of a token. Mm-hmm. And it also sounds like I've convoluted the process in terms of it doesn't it seem is. that easy to yeah, get Yeah, it. it is. And we've had nobody in our office take up the offer because I'm not sure whether they get to – because the tenant has to apply, so I'm not sure whether they get to it and they yeah, experience Yeah, what incentive roadblock. does the tenant have to apply on behalf of the landlord when they already have protections of no eviction in the first place? Exactly. Maybe only the fact that they have to pay the rent back at the end, but – is any are tenants really worried about what they've got to do at the end yeah. at this stage? Probably Maybe not. not. Yeah, they're thinking about their finances right now. Yeah, I yeah, agree. and so I'm not sure that that policy is really going to be taken up much or do much, to be frank. And even if it was used 100, percent it's certainly not getting people to the end of September where yeah. landlords really have this risk period. Yeah, I agree. What if I'm a landlord who has a vacant property right now, knowing that there's some level of risk that I could bring on a tenant who's just going to not pay rent straight away. Yes. And when I'm dealing with new clients at the moment, Trent, this is definitely a question that I get asked a lot. And you're right. It's a really tough one because who knows what's going to happen. But having said that, who knows what's going to happen with a tenant at any stage when we're putting new tenants in there. I guess what you need to do is think it's better to encourage a tenant to apply for your property, do all the checks and balances, do a database check. Does it feel right for you? Mm. If it feels right, do it. Because having your, t- your property tenanted is obviously much better for your returns than having it sit vacant for how long? What, how Six months, maybe longer. The thing is, is that if there is real signs of tenants not paying rent like maliciously or damage, there is ways that we can terminate the tenancies. So if a tenant does not meet the payment plan, you can terminate on not meeting the payment plan. It's just a really long process and who knows what will change between now and then. Yeah, it could possibly take until September in the first to place. Get there. I mean, to be frank, even in a normal situation, if I was thinking about breaching a tenant right now, I probably not I'm probably not getting them out until September anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the thing is is that do the checks and balances that are required. Does it feel right for you? Is this tenant going to are they in a position? Are they in a work um, are they employed by um, something like in healthcare or real estate mm, where their jobs aren't tourism. going to be? Yeah, exactly. Aren't going to be affected. I guess that's one of the things you have to check right now really is over and above any other normal checks of just whether they're a good person to have a job. Now you're thinking about, geez, do they have a job risk possibly yeah, in the industry exactly. and that you wouldn't have bothered about in February yep. this year. Yeah, And exactly. there could be in all other cases a really good tenancy history, really good people, check out with great references, mm-hmm. but they work in retail yeah. and you wonder, can you actually pay this rent, yeah. James? Yeah. You know? And these are the things that we're having to look at really deeply, really closely and discuss with our owners. Even the other day, we had a hairdresser apply for one of our rental properties and it was like, is she going to be able to pay the rent? What's mm. going to happen within that business? And then you ring for a reference and you ask those questions, you know, how, what does your business look like for the next three to six months? Is there guaranteed income there to pay wages? Those sorts of things. And nobody knows. They just don't know. So mm. it, it is a risk. Precarious position right yeah. now. But I guess that we and our agents, we're just looking for tenants that might be in mining, in healthcare, yeah. in those types of jobs that are probably Choose nurses. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, that's a good idea. Yeah. Those are probably look practical 
pointers for all landlords out there who know that they're coming up or currently have a vacant vacant property. And I guess the one saving grace is compared to two years ago when the vacancy rate was 7.5%, yes. at least we're at 2.2% now where there should at least be a number of applications for yeah. every good property. Yeah. There's still tenants out there. There's still good quality tenants out there. There's still people who need new homes. So I say go ahead and do it. If you experience a problem, there is so many places where you can get advice and help. So I think I suggest go for it. Emma Thorpe, thank you very much for your time today, Matt. I think this will allay a lot of concerns for some of our uh, listeners today, most of which are all landlords in some capacity and volume. If they have any questions, they can give you a call, I'm yes, sure. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> Ciao. Very good. Bye. Okay, suburb spotlight time. Today, we are talking about one of Perth's closest inner city suburbs. It is West Perth. Bit of an interesting suburb, West Perth, because it's split in half by the freeway. And we're going to talk to West Perth's number one agent. It is Richard Self from Mac Hall. Thank you very much for coming in, mate. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. Richard, West Perth's an interesting suburb because it's not really a family suburb per se. It's not a, a family stronghold or a somewhere where you'd see a lot of uh, four by twos going on. You certainly wouldn't see a triplex development or anything like that. A lot, there's a lot of apartments. There's, there a lot of, there's some character homes as well from, from yesteryear. And there's also a lot of office space as well, isn't there? There is. There is. Um, I mean, really, the main um, office space there would be the old character houses that have been converted into you know, like medical practices or little boutique uh, mining companies. So on that same line, we segue with those old houses. Let's talk about West Perth 100 years ago. What did it look like? It certainly didn't have the big commercial office spaces that we see these days covering that skyline. That's exactly right. I think... A hundred years ago, West Perth would have been filled with those character cottages and character homes that are speckled throughout the suburbs still. And you can obviously see that a lot of them have gone missing over time. When it comes to that lifestyle back then, it, w- it would have just been a family suburb, very accessible to work in the city, wouldn't it? A hundred years ago, it would have been something like, I guess, uh, maybe a North Perth. Yeah, true. Parked sort of just behind Kings Park, easy walking to the river and the centre of St. George's Terrace. Perfect little segue in terms of the features and the lifestyle of that West Perth life for people people who do decide to live in the suburb. What is it that brings people to West Perth and what benefits do you think, you know, if you can sell your own suburb, Richard, what is it that when maybe you'd be showing a buyer through different suburbs like West Perth, Leadable, Subiaco, what's on the pro side for West Perth that others might not have? West Perth offers a lot. So it's probably one of the more leafy suburbs in Perth. You've got Totterdell Park, Harold Bowles Gardens, and Kings Park being Perth's number one tourist attraction as well. And then speckled throughout the streets, you've got you know the peppermint trees and those beautiful character houses. So really, West Perth offers the, the resident and the, the buyer looking proximity to the city, being part of the free cat bus service, easy walking to Subiaco, and also you've got City West train station. It's just a nice, quiet lifestyle on the weekend with easy access to the freeways as well, north and south. Do you think that's a part of the buyer profile is that in contrast to many people who own apartments and go for apartments where they want to have that buzz around them, do you think the people that live in West Perth probably appreciate the quietness, especially on the weekend? Absolutely. You can see them out walking on the weekends. They walk out the door of the apartment. They head straight up to Kings Park, Jacob's Ladder when it's operating, Mount Street. Uh, And there is plenty of cafes and restaurants. I mean, you do have Watertown, which has an abundance of eateries, Gordon Street Garage, uh, Ganjemi's will take care of your boutique wine and also the Jaffel Shack are open every Saturday and they have a good crowd and make good coffee. So 
Well, you got, you got, I guess, the food court on Hay Street as well. There's a little bit of a strip there. What's been the story over the last few years in terms of the liveliness of, of the amenity on the strip? Obviously, we've had some struggles when it comes to the commercial space in West Perth, especially since the mining boom. How has that affected life for the residents? Good question. So effectively, as the commercial space became vacant, a lot of the cafe strip suffered. Less workers in the heart of West Perth Monday to Friday. The food court is a great example, and that really is the epitome of what happened is a lot of those tables became vacant and then therefore the shops started closing. So I think there might be three or four operators still in the food court, but compared to the heyday, it is nothing before you had to line up to get a seat and now you could take your pick any time. People that are living in West Perth though as as residents, they're not too worried about how the food court's going. They're probably working in the city and coming back and living an Uber Eats life really in that space. Or there's a couple of really nice restaurants in West Perth as well. There's plenty of five-star dining. I mean, even Perugino's. You still have uh, Julio's with the Sage Hotel redevelopment. But the residents aren't, like you said, concerned with the closing down of those places like the food court. They come back from, say, working in the city, order in, um, or, you know, there's still enough restaurants there to make do. Would you say this is a suburb that is conducive to young family life, schools, sports, things like that? You'd be surprised. So over the last four years, I would say that we have really mainly sold to owner-occupiers, and that does include the young families. The reason being, and you forget that Perth Modern is right there, and that being a scholarship school for gifted children, that doesn't discriminate where they live. So some of the buyers recently have been people that live, say, in the outer suburbs, let's just say Canningvale, and then they have lucky enough to have their child win a scholarship at Perth Modern. They have been buying property so that they don't have to commute during the week and they have a lock-and-leave style apartment purely for their kids to go to school. Yeah, wow. And I guess what you've also got there, and certainly can't discount the opportunities for sports and schooling as well in, in you know, neighbouring suburbs just like Subiaco just across Thomas Street. So as much as you know, you might not have every single amenity for that lifestyle in West Perth, it is just a hop, skip and a jump to Rosalie Park or to Rockaby Road for you know, your shopping and those sort of things. Yeah, exactly. And traditionally, the nearest shopping centre for West Perth residents had been Crossway Shopping Centre. That was the easiest drive, the easiest place to get your groceries. Whereas now, that's still the case, but this Woolworths have purchased the site directly across the road from the old Princess Margaret Hospital. So we will have a full-blown supermarket in West Perth in the near future. It's currently under construction. How's that, eh? That's brilliant. For those living in West Perth, it just means I think people just they love a walk score. They love to be able to walk to the shops, walk to the cafe, walk to work. I mean, we obviously always had that opportunity with West Perth, but just those last little bits of the weekend, it really starts to round the suburb out to be super livable. When it comes to people who are buying and selling with you at the moment right now, can you characterize the buyers, young people, the old people, a mix, other sellers, investors who are getting out? What is it? At the moment, West Perth, because of the recent affordability changes, it's a lot more affordable for first home buyers. So there is um, first home buyer market looking sub 430,000 and looking to pay no stamp duty. And for that type of money, you are, you know, you can get two bedroom apartments, as good a one bedroom as you want. And some cases a three bedroom on the other side of West Perth over in the Cleaver Street precinct. Are these young consultants working on the terrace? Not necessarily, no. It's a mixed bag of people that work close to the city or around the city and just attracted to the West Perth lifestyle more so than, say, than Subiaco. Sellers? At the moment, you would have a lot of uh, mum and dad investors finally deciding to move the property on. Um, they either have no need for it, need to get out of the super fund, they've finished work and don't need the negative gearing. That's really a common seller. Uh, and occasionally you get the upgrader. So someone that bought a one-bedroom maybe 10 years ago can see now that the two bedrooms are much, much 
cheaper uh, or they might need that second car bay. So there is some upgrading going on. Interesting to think that in a suburb like West Perth, there would still be that upgrading within the suburb recycling up. Definitely. The most popular properties recently have been ones with two car bays and or three bedrooms. Are there many around though? I mean, most of West Perth, the development you currently see there, it was done you know, quite a few years ago where two, but two car bays probably wasn't the norm. That's right. So if a buyer comes to you and says, look, I'm looking for two car bays, that knocks out 90% of the stock mm. and they're worth searching for. Uh, and it's a good point of difference for rental and then for future resale. Okay. Let's talk about those price points more specifically. So step me up from the cheapest dog box you can find in West Perth all the way up to the most expensive thing you're selling, seeing on the market right now. The cheapest property in West Perth would have to be in the Cleaver Street precinct, and you can purchase a one-bedroom apartment there for about 150000 These are old flat sort of thing? Yeah, like 1970, One bedroom, I just recently sold out there for 175000 which was one of the better ones. Cheaper um, than renting, isn't it? It is, and that property rented for 270 a week, so net return was about 6.5%, yeah. which is amazing. Well, yeah, very good, especially for an apartment you really can't break. Not much that can break inside. Exactly. From there, you step up to more your modern one-bedroom apartment with a car bay in a boutique group or even in a large group at the moment would be 275000 to mid-300s at best. We have one just recently sold on Kings Park Road for 350000 uh, in a modern group, 2005 built, and then some of the older ones, maybe 10 or 12 years old, could sell for 275. Okay, so still very affordable. This is still the no stamp duty part of the conversation. Excellent buying, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of first home buyers that are going for the one beds right now. Who is it? The investors are coming back because they're they're stacking up at that price point. So with, people looking for yield. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's almost there. I mean, those one bedrooms generally rent for 300 to 360 a week furnished. Uh, if you can purchase something like that for two seventy, two eighty thousand, that's working out okay. What are we getting in the four hundreds? Four hundreds, you can take your pick from a two by one easily. Two by twos certainly with one car bay, uh, in pretty much anywhere from Delhi Street to Kings Park Road at the moment. Let's just skip into. There, firstly, I want to ask a question: Are there any houses? Yes. Are there any properties in West Perth with land? There are. I mean, even in that central part of West Perth, those original workers' cottages or be- actually they're beautiful Federation homes. So it would have been quite an affluent area yeah, 100 years ago. Yeah. Yep. Um, so And they're massive. Some of them are quite big. So those houses do get thrown into the data with the West Perth sales. I would say there's probably only around 20, 25 house sales in West Perth a year. Wow. So, and some of that is the full commercial properties. So they, they obviously have going concern values on top of the actual value of the property. Correct. Yeah. And so they do, there is a big price difference. So if we just talk about the residential houses that are selling over in that Cleaver Street precinct before Beattie Park and over the freeway, they are probably around 700,000. Look, especially when you consider that's really a leadable slash Northbridge Correct. lifestyle. Good value. It's I th- excellent. I think what that area suffers from is that you, you can't really search for it. People who are searching for West Perth probably aren't looking for Cleaver Street and dismiss it straight away. And people who are looking for that pocket around Beatty Park, they're typing it in. And as long, unless they type in West Perth, they're not going to get that one. It is a difficult one. So, I mean, it's even Town of Vincent as well. So, mm. it's not even City of Perth, but yep. it's still West Perth. So, that is a tricky scenario. But no houses over in the uh, City of Perth area? There is. I mean... Surely there's a few heritage ones that haven't been turned into medical practices. There was one recently, probably six months ago, that went the other way. It was a commercial small business and then an owner-occupier bought it. And you can see the difference straight away. The signage comes down, obviously. But just the restoration and all the pot plants going in the front and you can pick it a mile away. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. I mean, in terms of a a lifestyle, for someone to get a character house for, let's just say, around $1.2 on 
600 square metres of land with a central corridor and Jarrah floorboards and high ceilings and, mm. you know, all the character features everyone loves, right next to the city on the free cat bus. I mean, it's a great proposition. Yeah, when you think about amenity and you compare that, again, for me, that would be to North Perth or Mount Lawley around Grosvenor Street or something, Raglan Road, that sort of area, you're probably paying pretty similar money for that pretty similar product. I would hazard a guess that the West Perth build is actually much nicer in terms of quality. And you're right, if you take away what suburb is what and you just look at uh, location, 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 the West Perth kills it every time. You would have to think that a suburb that close to the centre of town, surrounded by those other suburbs with median prices, house prices much, much higher, that a house like that, if you were in Sydney or Melbourne, would be worth a small fortune. Yeah, and that's that's where I'm, I guess I'm leading to is it's a weird thing about West Perth and where I can see some level of legitimacy in the NIMBYism in Subiaco is that uh, if West Perth wasn't in a way stripped of some level of its history and culture by the light office space that's been put in there over the last 60 years, it would be by far one of the most expensive suburbs in Perth, if not the most expensive suburb, just because of actual location amenities that it has. It's next level. It's two-rack sort of stuff. And the only reason it's not is because there's only a handful of two-rack level properties left. It could have been quite a special historical precinct when you think about other places around the world that have those historical parts of the city nestled in right next to the new modern skyscrapers. It could have been something special. There is a movement from the local residents there, especially over the last four years as more owner-occupiers have moved in, less investors around. There is a movement. We did set up a a local group called um, West Perth Local, originally chaired by John Kerry, the local member for parliament, and then that got a lot of the local businesses on board. And there is a movement there trying to make it um, more livable for its residents. Ironically, the next question, any development opportunities in, in West Perth? I think there's great opportunities in West Perth. I mean, there's no cranes in West Perth right now, so nothing's being built. You could tell me better in terms of whether they're viable, but I think that West Perth is ripe for some new... We need some new product. We need some new apartments. We need new townhouses, villas. What does it need to be, though? Because when I look at the developers who are doing it well and actually selling their stuff right now in the apartment space, what they're providing is really high-end stuff. It needs to be essentially a resort lifestyle, the Blackburn stuff, edge living. They're spending a lot of money on everything that isn't an apartment everything outside it right do you think that there would be a market there given that you the price points you just said you can buy a two by two in the 400s right is someone going to come in for a brand new two by two with xyz strata facilities and lifestyle facilities in the 600s next door i think so i think if it's done correctly not maybe a typical finbar 22 story building but i think if it's done with some thought a bit of design you know something a bit more melbourne-esque not just your cookie cutter tilt up concrete Mm -hmm. Um, but if you actually engage some of the do a bit of market research into what the people in west perth want or speak to some of the local real estate agents as to what would sell really well i know one yeah (laughs) and get us involved early then we could i think produce something quite nice is there space for it left is the question is there enough square meterage for us to put up a big enough building to get a big enough return and again there's an institutional level developers here this isn't mum and dad i think that question straight away is a no are there sites left that aren't heritage listed and aren't super expensive already because they're currently medical facilities or something like that i think there are sites left and i think that that would allow for maybe a you know a couple developments of 30 or 40 apartments over maybe eight stories. But if you went smaller than that, if you could do something with only 20 apartments, that would be ideal. So what do you think of the air apartments that come up? How, how did they go? 
Did they meet the brief? Because they're brand new product and West Perth was starved of brand new product, they sold and I think upon completion there might have been 60 or 70 left out of a couple hundred. That type of product had never been tested before in West Perth. They are still selling some of those now. The price points, there is that big um, difference between brand new and secondhand. So the price point difference was huge and it's taken them maybe three years to move through that stock. That would really say to me that it didn't work. I don't think the appetite in West Perth was there for that type of product. I think the people buying in West Perth being the owner-occupiers, wanting something a bit more boutique, probably steered away from that and fueled the second-hand market. Mm. But there is definitely a space in the market for some brand-new products, similar to probably what is on Altona Street now, 11 and 12 Altona. Maybe not as big. They're not 90-square-metre two-by-twos, some with two car bays, some with one. And they're probably selling around 600000 right now for buildings that are 15, 16 years old. Yeah, wow. So, And that's a premier street for West Perth when you're not talking about Mount Street or Bellevue Terrace. Really interesting information there, Rich. And for anyone listening out there, I guess, in that more institutional space, it, I guess it starts to uh, turn a light bulb on in, in an area where no one, none of us are looking. No one is looking in West Perth to do this right now. So maybe someone will after listening to this conversation. Fingers crossed. Uh, last question, median house price, what is it? So the median house price is around 800000 but that is confused with those big office character houses that are selling it's been, it's been skewed correct yeah. yeah so i mean it's quite easy to work through if you take away a few of those it essentially should be about 650 700 for a median house price let's work with that what are we buying for 650 Six, what's richard self buying for 650 in 650 Westboro? gets you over in car street that cleaver street precinct you'll get a nice um two or three bed character terrace or cottage i love the character houses i've own one myself i just think it's a you can't go wrong you get a little bit of land you get all the character features that everyone loves for future resale they're just beautiful places spaces to be in interesting at the at the final post there that the advice is to head to, back to north perth that's still west perth <laughs> very true uh mate thank you very much uh for coming in and chatting it's it's a, quite an insightful conversation really i really appreciate that hopefully we can have you in again to speak about another close suburb thanks very much thanks for having me trent Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!